Hey sinners, Serotonin here, just dropping in with a quick intro. This podcast was originally written and recorded for Spotify, where I'm able to embed some ripper tunes between segments to support the topics, new releases, or particular artists which are discussed. This version has been adjusted to allow sharing on alternate platforms and unfortunately won't include those tracks, which might make my silly segues and transitions just a little bit strange. If you would like to be able to check out the songs that were intended to be part of this episode, jump through the Sin and Steel link tree to the songs from the Sin and Steel podcast playlist, or see the track listing in the description of the episode. Hello and welcome to Sin and Steel, the heavy metal podcast. I'm your host, Serotonin. And in today's episode, we're celebrating Pride Month, recapping some recent heavy metal news, and looking at new releases from the month of May. Today's episode is cram-packed with music from artists such as Judas Priest, Faith No More, Metalite, Sacred Outcry, and loads more. If you like the songs you hear in today's episode, not only will you see the details within the podcast listing, but you can find my Songs from the Sin and Steel podcast playlist shared on Facebook or Instagram, and through the Sin and Steel link tree. For Pride Month, there'll be an additional playlist that includes many of the queer artists we mention here today, as well as many, many more. For Pride, I'm going to start with a bit of info about Pride Month itself, take a look at how this fits within the heavy metal community, and then explore some queer artists, allies, and community crossovers. Pride Month is a month of celebration of the LGBTQIA community. I'll mostly use the umbrella term queer today, but this is our lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, intersex and asexual friends, as well as anyone whose sexual or gender identities fall outside of the mainstream. Pride Month, though, is mostly a commemoration for those who fought for equality and fought for the freedom for people to be themselves. It's for those that we've lost to homophobic or transphobic violence or circumstances they were forced into through their oppression. And of course, it's an anniversary to the Stonewall riots that occurred back in 1969 in New York City. This is why Pride Month is generally celebrated in June and many countries have taken on that same month. Initially, Pride marches were held each year following the riots, commemorating the events and continuing the push for gay liberation. This meant that the marches were always very protest focused and although in more recent years they've been more of a celebration, for as long as there continues to be oppression, inequality, hate and intolerance of queer people, there'll always be an aspect of protest and advocacy that's involved. I want to go into a little bit of a timeline across Australia and America and the anti-gay laws just to give us some context because although we've made a lot of progress in this space it's really still all very recent and I think sometimes we forget just how recently these changes have occurred. In Australia all us convict drop-offs started off with British laws. These were based around the Buggery Act. Essentially homosexuality between men was punishable by death. Interestingly though also criminal were acts between heterosexuals including sodomy oral sex and mutual masturbation, even in the privacy of your own home. Lesbians, they weren't so much of a concern because these laws were all made under the idea that men are more susceptible to lust and partaking in the ungodly or unnatural acts, while women were seen as not having their own sexuality or wants. So, you know, they're not going to be exploring with each other. They're just roommates. They're just good friends, all that sort of stuff. 
anyway, I, I think that the straights often forget that even some of the intimate acts that they love and participate in with members of the opposite sex were and in some cases still are seen as unnatural by some other people. They were just less likely to be actually punished for them. I couldn't find clear information about the changes from the Buggery Act, but I'm going to jump forward to the last half century or so, starting with in Australia. So here in Oz, it was 1976 before acts of homosexuality were decriminalised in the ACT, so just in our capital territory. Meanwhile in Victoria, police were spending their time posing as gay men so that they could entrap actual gay men and go on a bit of an arrest spree. Apparently in that particular summer, there were over 100 arrests of gay men using that tactic. So just a few years later, in 1980, homosexual acts were then decriminalised in Victoria as well, which I'm sure put a bit of a stop to some of the fun that those police were having. In 1982, New South Wales passed some anti-discrimination laws to help provide some protections. Even though homosexuality was still illegal there for another two years, it was only decriminalised in 1984. Keep in mind for that one, the Sydney Mardi Gras has been running since 1978, so there were six years of the Sydney Mardi Gras where it was still illegal to be a homosexual. This is mental to me, but 1990 is when Western Australia finally got on board for that decriminalisation. But they had an age of consent as 21 for homosexuals, while it was still 16 for heteros. The same year, sodomy was decriminalised in Queensland, but again with consent ages that were different to those for other forms of sex. In the US, it was only in 2003 that all laws against same-sex sexual activity were actually decriminalised. They had some similar trickling of changes through different states that led up to that point but 2003 when all states were on board. Although states like Massachusetts started offering same-sex marriage the next year, it wasn't until 2015 that same-sex marriage was made legal across the country. Now there are still laws that prevent same-sex couples' rights to adoption, and in some states, queer people aren't protected against discrimination based on their sexuality or gender identity, and that impacts their employment and even just housing. If we jump back to Australia, it was late in 2017, not even five years ago, when the same-sex marriage bill was passed. And we had to do it by a fucking postal vote in order for that to happen. And there was a very disappointing almost 40% of people that still voted against it. Guess what else happened in 2017? Queensland finally abolished the gay panic defence, with South Australia following along a couple of years later in 2020 and being the last Australian state to do so. Gay panic as a murder defence is not to be confused with bi panic. Bi panic would be like me first getting into Arch Enemy as a teenager, seeing the beautiful and wonderful Angela Gosso up on stage and freaking out because I didn't know whether I wanted to be her or fuck her. And, you know, there are other variants of that. Gay panic as a defense against murder, if you aren't familiar with the concept, is essentially when someone who's straight has a gay person hit on them and that makes them panic and get violent in response. So it's used as a bit of an excuse as to why they responded in that way. I'm baffled that while South Australia are the only state in Australia that specifically criminalises the consumption, not just killing for food, but the actual consumption of cats and dogs, and has done so since the 50s, they made no effort to stop gay panic potentially being used as a murder defence until not even three years ago. 
I think it's been a long time, many years since a defence like that was used or at least successful, but that it was still a potential practice is just crazy. This is all only a very small portion of the rights that queer people have been fighting for or the things that they've been fighting against. And we didn't even touch on a lot of the trans rights, even the simple ones like changing a name um, or changing the gender identification on documents. But as I'm sure you can see, although there's been some progress on some key issues, so much of it is still so new and we have a long way to go. Queer people just want to exist as themselves, love who they love and not have to live in fear of being verbally or physically assaulted for their existence or of being denied basic human rights because of their sexuality or gender expression. They want to be able to have intimacy between consenting adults that isn't directed and choreographed by people who aren't part of that consenting party. I mean, come on, it doesn't matter what your sexuality is. If you wanted people telling you what to do in the bedroom, you'd probably be looking for a dom or getting into porn, not following the direction of politicians and repressed conservatives. All my dumb jokes aside, this is why Pride Month is so important. It's about having a time of increased visibility and awareness, support and discussions around queer needs and rights. These discussions and the support of our communities is absolutely crucial to maintaining the rights that have been won over recent years, preventing things from moving backwards and continuing on that path of equality and tolerance. In terms of the connection to heavy metal, to put it simply, queer people are everywhere. It wouldn't matter what community or branch of interest we're looking at, there's going to be queer involvement. With heavy metal, it's a form of music and a community that often appeals to people who are looking for an escape, ways to express themselves, and find somewhere where they feel like they belong. It makes sense that it's a community that would be appealing to people who may already feel marginalized, like so many queer people are. So many aspects of heavy metal music and the way it's presented are based around wanting to break free from the norm. It's embracing your true self and standing up for what you believe in. We've had plenty of musicians over the years who openly explore their physical presentation, breaking gender norms with men wearing all styles of makeup and more typically feminine clothing, as well as women embracing more masculine or androgynous styles while expressing their own strength and power. Even where these aren't specifically queer artists, the freedom of expression that is part of heavy metal is something that, though important to all of us, certainly helps make this community more diverse and welcoming to our queer peers. So let's take a quick break before we have a look at some queer heavy metal artists. That was Judas Priest with Jawbreaker. One of the most well-known and influential queer artists in the metal space would have to be Rob Halford. I'm not going to go into his life story here today. I could comfortably do a whole episode about him, but I couldn't do a Pride episode and not talk about Rob at all. In Rob's autobiography, Confess, a title which is certainly not taken lightly, by the way, he talks about a range of experiences throughout his life, including what he called his party trick of smuggling gay lyrics onto Judas Priest albums. For Jawbreaker, he had this to say. It was a song about a giant cock about to come and powerful enough to, well, break the jaw of any guy who tangled with it. Deadly as the viper, peering from its coil, the poison there is coming to the boil. I didn't tell the band this at the time. I wasn't quite sure how well it would go down if I piped up in the studio and said, that's about a big cock, that is, lads. 
he noted that he told them in recent years what Jawbreaker is about and they just laughed and said, oh yeah, now that you mention it, we can see it. When I went back to look for this passage while writing this episode, I instead came across threads where people were arguing that the lyrics had nothing to do with oral sex, let alone gay sex. And there were multiple people that said that it was actually about someone losing their shit from all the pressures of the world and doing something hectic like shooting up a mall. Some people are so deeply offended that some song lyrics might be relating to a cock that they'd rather it be about shooting up a shopping centre. What the actual fuck? I did have a good laugh at this while I was reading through these, but it was very much one of those if I don't laugh I'll cry type situations. I ended up having to go back to the physical book to find the passage I was looking for. Another story I love from the book, which is also available as an audiobook, by the way, so you can listen to the man himself reading it to you, is about Rob stopping at a truck stop after a show. And when he was in the bathroom, the man in the next door was tapping their feet away in anticipation for an encounter. This particular stop did not have a glory hole, but there was a big gap between the stalls where they could reach through. So they both gave each other hand jobs, and once it was done, while Rob was washing his hands, the other man did not follow the normal etiquette of waiting for the other person to leave, and instead he came out and came face to face with Rob. The dude was decked out from head to toe in Judas Priest merch, clearly just coming from the show, and his jaw dropped when he saw Rob. Rob just coolly walked out, gave him a wink as he passed him, and said, see you on the next tour. Rob was still very much closeted then. He was always worried about how coming out would impact the band, so there was a risk of him being outed in a situation like this. When he did come out as gay in 1998 on MTV, he wasn't sure how he'd be received. In later interviews, he described the metal community as the most tolerant, the most open-minded, the most loving, the most accepting of all the kinds of music that we know in rock and roll. As with any communities, I don't think this is always the case, but it does certainly seem to be the majority. I have always absolutely adored Rob Halford. When I was a teen, I used to have two main thoughts. The first was the very hetero wish that Rob wasn't gay because I wanted to marry him. The other, the, the much more prominent, was that it didn't matter that he was gay. I wished I could marry him anyway. It wasn't a physical thing that interested me. He could have his boyfriend or his boyfriends, plural. I could have my boyfriends or my girlfriends. I just wanted him to sing to me forever. Although I knew I wasn't straight and had an interest in women, I don't think I had a full grip on my sexuality back then. Now as an adult who knows they're very much bisexual, leaning towards demisexual and polyamorous, my imaginary arrangement with Rob Halford makes complete sense. Rob still remains one of my favourite people. He's just so cheeky, but so wholesome at the same time. I don't object to anybody sharing this episode his way. It would be my notice me senpai moment. <laughs> anyway, circling back to songs about sucking dick. It will be the last one with this theme today, I promise. Here's Faith No More with Be Aggressive. Be Aggressive was written by Faith No More's keyboardist, Roddy Bottom, a gay man who, in contrast to the writing of Jawbreaker, was out at the time and left no ambiguity in the lyrics. A big part of him writing this song was knowing that Mike Patton would be the one singing it. 
it's both hilarious and a wonderful statement having a straight man performing this song and taking it like a champ. Looking at some more gay men in heavy metal, in 2008, frontman Gal of Norwegian black metal band Gorgoroth came out as gay. This is an interesting one, or at least it's very interesting to me. This guy is fucking bonkers. He's a dude who strongly condones and encourages church burnings. I mean, it is Norwegian black metal. And has been arrested twice for assault. He spent a year in prison after beating a man and threatening to sacrifice him and drink his blood. He apparently handed the man a cup to catch the drops of blood. And when he was asked about this in court, his response was that he just wanted to make sure his victim wouldn't make a mess in his house. He was sentenced to another 14 months a few years later after holding another man captive and torturing him for six hours. If you've seen the Sam Dunn documentary, Metal, A Headbanger's Journey, he goes to visit and interview Gal and he's terrified. He's terrified to be going to his house. I had to point this out because this was before the second prison sentence. So I have to wonder if he'd been given this opportunity a few years later, would he still have gone? This was a really strange interview. Sam asks, what are the primary ideologies that fuel Golgoroth's music? Gal just sits there silently for ages before he says, Satan. Takes a little sip of his wine and just goes back to silence. It's weird. Despite him clearly not being an ideal role model, Gal was presented with a Gay Person of the Year award in 2010. And even he thought it was quite silly because it was very much based only on his sexuality. He was willing to accept it though, as he felt that it may mean a lot to others, including many who spoke to him at events, telling him how his coming out gave them the confidence to come out themselves. Funnily enough, when Cynic members Paul Masdevil and Sean Reinhart both came out publicly as gay men in 2014, which they did in an LA Times expose, Sean was talking about the different type of gay men in heavy metal, and he mentioned that the gay men in the more extreme metal scene seemed quite few, with Gaal being one of his very few examples, and it was noted that even then, they aren't necessarily role models. Though there had been speculation that Sean and Paul may be a couple, they confirmed that this was not the case and were very adamant that they'd never been attracted to one another. They'd been mates for a long time, though. While still in school, they messed around with a couple of different bands, Kriffa uh, and Seaweed, before forming Cynic in the late 80s. Sean, you may also know from when he branched off playing drums with Death for the fantastic album, Human. These two have been out in their private lives for years, so Sean spoke about how years prior he'd been on a date with a really awful guy, who clearly had a lot less tact than Rob's truck stop mate, and decided to blog about it on his website. This meant that for years, if you googled Sean Reinhardt, there would always be results asking if he was gay. Sean's no longer with us, passing in 2020, but he has left us with these words. Gay people are everywhere doing every job, playing every kind of music, and we always have been. It's taken me years to finally be brave enough to say, if you have a problem with that, then throw out our records. That's your problem, not mine. Some other gay artists within the rock and heavy metal space include the likes of Chuck Pinozo, bassist for Styx, Doug Pinnock of King's X, and Gary Floyd of The Dicks. We have lesbian and Australian-born Chris Bonacci, guitarist with Girl School, and frontwoman and vocalist of Otep, Otep Shamaya. There are plenty more examples, I'm sure. 
But I do also have to make a mention of Freddie Mercury of Queen. They have some really heavy songs and they've always had a huge influence within the heavy metal scene. Freddie Mercury is an absolute icon for the queer community. He did originally come out as bisexual to his then fiance Mary Austin, who told him that she thought he was probably gay. Later on, in his words, he did confirm he was as gay as a daffodil. But there was clearly a huge amount of love between those two for the rest of their lives. And I think that is a great example of how complex matters of sexuality and romantic attraction and our own identities can really be. Speaking of bisexuals, here's Joan Jett and the Blackhearts with ACDC. So Joan Jett, whenever she was asked about her sexuality in interviews, would tend to push it away as not worth answering. However, she always had a dyke sticker on her guitar and it was well known that she was seeing women, including bandmate Sherry Curie. Lita Ford left the band at one stage early on, apparently because she was so horrified at all the lesbianism going on. She did return to the band and although she seems to have talked about the event more recently, I haven't seen anything that indicates what her views are on it these days, just that they got on with their job at the time. That last song I have heard many, many times before. I've always loved it, but it never occurred to me why it was called or used the line ACDC. It was only recently that someone told me that ACDC was actually a common term at one point for bisexuals. The slang is just playing on the point of an electrical device that is adaptable to both alternating and direct current. While I feel that it doesn't quite capture the nuance of bisexuality, I really dig it anyway. And I just can't believe I didn't know about it before. There was a lyric in there that she can't make up her mind. And that part, though not to be taken too seriously in this song, is still something we should be careful not to perpetuate. Years ago, I was doing an apprenticeship in my aunt's tattoo shop. And although I hadn't told her outright that I was bi, I had plenty of conversations around her with my other workmates that really indicated I was. We had a regular client who had left a marriage with a man and was then dating women. After one visit from this particular client, my auntie was talking shit and it's nothing new. We bisexuals hear this stuff all the time, even from people within the queer community, but she was going on about how bisexuality was bullshit, bi people are just indecisive, selfish, greedy, and they must all be sluts. I can't imagine what she'd have to say about me now choosing polyamory on top of all that. Anyway, that was probably the kicker for me with my auntie. My respect for her was lost in that moment and our relationship went downhill from there. So being bisexual doesn't immediately mean someone is indecisive or greedy and we just don't need to slut shame anyone of any sexuality. There is some crossover between the terms bisexual and pansexual with it being one of the queer labels that seem to differ in definition or application within different areas or groups. But essentially, bisexual is to be attracted to two or more genders. This could be, for example, attraction to men and women, women and non-binary, or all three, or any and all genders. Pansexual tends to be defined as attraction regardless of gender, which for many bisexuals is still the case. They, they just might not feel they identify with the term pansexual. Openly bisexual artists in heavy metal and some adjacent musical spaces include Izzy Hale of Hailstorm, Pete Townsend of The Who, Lou Reed of The Velvet Underground, Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day, and of course, David Bowie, who was rumored to have been caught by his wife in bed with Mick Jagger. 
Mick Jagger that I know of hasn't confirmed his own sexuality, but plenty of claims have been made and claims have been made that he also had affairs with fellow Rolling Stones, Keith Richards and Mick Taylor. Some pansexual identifying artists include Pete Shelley of the Buzzcocks and Brendan Urie of Panic at the Disco. When we move away from sexuality and towards gender, we're looking at those whose biological sex doesn't match their assigned gender or are otherwise gender non-conformative. This includes trans or non-binary people and intersex people. The key with this is that it doesn't matter how someone is presenting and whether or not they take measures in transitioning towards the physical aspects that we tend to associate with their identifying gender. Their identity is still valid and a part of them, regardless of our own perceptions. Some known transgender artists include trans man, Elliot Miskovics of the band Versatile, trans mask artist Sarg, non-binary Cameron Boggs of Sanguizkebob, and also non-binary one-person band Electromancy by Satira. If you check out Electromancy's bio on Spotify, it's the best. When Satira became disabled, they built robotic instruments so that they could keep playing metal. They describe it as composed by human, played by robots. And for some physical bandmates, they use a bunch of mannequins that are made more surreal by lighting placed within broken parts. Amazing. Trans women include Hunter Hendricks of Liturgy, Mina Caputo of Life of Agony, Marissa Martinez of Cretan, Marcy Free of King Cobra, Zandra M of Uboa, Danica Roem of thrash metal band Cab Ride Home, Against Me's Laura Jane Grace, Melissa Moore of Cross Spitter and Sonia, as well as drummer Lee Larson from Metalite, who's been known for sharing behind the scenes videos and drum cams at shows. On that note, let's listen to Metalites. We bring you the stars. An important part of the LGBT community is having allies that, although they might not be queer themselves, provide support to the community and help advocate for their peers. There are many known allies and advocates, including those getting involved in protests, public speaking, and even directly in political spaces. Back in 2019, Ramstein guitarists kissed on stage during a performance in Russia as a protest against the Russian gay propaganda laws and a Russian website that was encouraging people to hunt gay people and gay rights activists. Greg Pucciato of the Dillinger Escape Plan is a very vocal advocate in the queer space, as is Dave Dichter of Millions of Dead Cops and Henry Rollins, who's been a guest judge on both RuPaul's Drag Race and Boulay Brothers Dragula. Someone who's always been a strong supporter of our queer community is Twisted Sisters Dee Snyder. The man is known for breaking boundaries and defying gender norms. He was recently on The Masked Singer in the form of a doll where he said the costume was inspired by drag and he insisted that he needed to wear high heels. He says he's waiting on a call from RuPaul and to be honest, I've been waiting for that too. We need him on as a guest judge at some stage for sure. Unfortunately, Dee was recently in a position where he got some backlash and accusations of being transphobic because he responded to a tweet by Paul Stanley that discussed gender-reaffirming surgeries in the context of children, and Dee expressed some agreement with Paul's initial tweet. Dee issued a statement responding to the claims, and I think it was incredibly well-written. Dee is a smart man, and he's always been very well-spoken. I think he may have just missed some of the nuance in what Paul Stanley had said and what it means for trans people. 
Paul Stanley's a bit of a dickhead in his own way, so maybe as a general rule, don't blanket agree with something that he says. But of course, we know tweets and short forms of media, they really don't allow a lot of room for proper clarification, context and discussions. So things can easily be lost in translation. I encourage you to go and check out Dee's statement, but essentially he talks about being politically moderate and the balance that exists as part of everything, as well as his support for the queer community and transgender struggles. There was an understandable concern about the well-being of children under specific circumstances when it comes to physical transitions and invasive surgeries, with it being an area that needs to be managed with support but also safety and mental growth in mind. Dee was set to be performing the classic We're Not Gonna Take It at San Francisco Pride this month, but he sat down with organisers of the San Francisco Pride after these events unfolded. It was noted that they had a very productive and educational discussion with him where he was incredibly open to learning more about transgender-specific issues and the related statements. He wasn't dropped from the lineup, but they did come to an agreement that he would not be performing this year. These conversations are so important and, as Dee mentions, pushing someone away and accusing them of transphobia or homophobia, especially when they're such an ally because they didn't agree with 100% of every one of your views, can be detrimental to the cause and reflect quite poorly on the community. Lesser men than Dee may have been more thrown at those claims, doubling down or causing drama. We've seen it happen. Unsurprisingly though, Dee has approached this really well, with both a clear indication of what his views were, while being open to discussion and learning and full of compassion. Taiwanese melodic black death metal band Thonic have long been involved in politics within Taiwan. As activists and advocates for independence for Taiwan and human rights, including LGBT rights. The vocalist Freddie Lim served as a chairman for the Taiwan chapter of Amnesty International from 2010 to 2014 and has been a legislator since 2015, starting out founding the New Power Party before becoming an independent and being assigned to the Foreign and National Defence Committee. The band have organised, promoted and played at many politically fueled music festivals, donated funds from their concerts to support rebuilding of Indigenous peoples' homes after typhoon damage, and been part of protests for a number of human rights causes. So let's take a quick break with their song, Patonkan. If we take a look at other links between heavy metal, pop culture and the queer community, one of the things that comes to mind for me is Boulay Brothers Dragula. It's kind of like a RuPaul's Drag Race, Drag Queen, Drag King competition, but it's focused on the alternative drag scene. I mentioned it earlier as Henry Rollins has been a guest judge before. It's heavily focused around horror, lots of gore, and the runways are generally done to much heavier music. So I highly recommend checking that out if you haven't before. Another very worthy mention is Cassandra Peterson, who plays the character Elvira. In 2021, she came clean about her 19 year long relationship with girlfriend Teresa which until then was only shared with close friends and family out of fear that fans wouldn't be accepting. Cassandra, who was 70 at the time she shared this news, said that she's mainly attracted to men. She just happened to fall in love with Teresa. Cassandra was part of a couple of rock bands, one of which was called The Snails, and as Elvira, she hosted the show Heavy Metal Heaven. She's put out compilations like the Heavy Metal Halloween and more recently appeared in Rob Zombie's rendition of The Munsters. This once again shows the complicated aspects to sexuality that sometimes we don't even understand about ourselves. Cassandra was 50 when her and Teresa became a couple, 
and 20 years later, she's still unsure where she fits. She was happy for people to say that she'd come out as gay, as she's in what's seen as a gay relationship, but she did say she felt that that label didn't quite fit. She loves who she loves, and she's incredibly happy in that. The beauty of having acceptance and tolerance of queer people is that it should allow everyone the freedom to explore these parts of themselves, whether they've always been there, or if it springs up later in life like it did for Cassandra. The key is that we don't always understand everything within ourselves, so you can't be expected to understand everything surrounding someone else's identity. What we can do, though, is we can try to understand the things we can, do our best to research and learn things for ourselves so that we aren't putting the onus just on our queer friends, be supportive, accepting, and welcoming of people even if we don't fully understand something about their identity, and get involved in the queer community in a positive way. Our heavy metal community, like any, will have some bad eggs, but most of us, I'm sure, want it to be that safe space where we can all come together from all walks of life. So if we all aim to be supportive and empathetic of others, welcoming to those who are different, and are prepared to have conversations in a compassionate and productive way, then our heavy metal community will just continue to flourish and continue to be one of the things that we all love so much about the music. So happy Pride Month, everyone. I want to give a quick shout out to the Facebook group LGBT Metalheads, which is an awesome space where our two worlds collide. And to the London creator, Vicky Hall, who runs Social Rebellion. They embroider patches that are perfect for your battle jackets and will fit in with all the heavy metal stuff you've got going on. But they share your pronouns, they have social and political messages, um, as well as a whole bunch of other really cool stuff. I've thrown a link to their Etsy store in the Sin and Steel link tree under the heading Recommended Creators. Before we dive into recent news, let's listen to some other queer icons. Miley Cyrus and Elton John cover Metallica's Nothing Else Matters. I for one think that cover is fantastic. But now bringing it into heavy metal news, James Hetfield was seen outside a hospital in Colorado where he was greeted by a founder of the Limbs for Liberty group and asked if he could make a quick surprise visit to a couple of wounded Ukrainian soldiers. Turns out they'd been lifelong fans, so it was a lovely surprise. They did of course say that they wished they could have met under different circumstances, you know, something like around a campfire with a drink in their hand. But that's still really nice. A social media platform for metalheads has recently gone live under the name of Metal Social. I've found it to be quite buggy on my phone, but it doesn't seem to have any trouble when I open it on PC and allows me to browse quite easily. There's not a huge amount of activity. It's really very early stages. And at my last count, it looked like there was maybe around five to 600 users. It's definitely a few of the same people really trying to keep it moving, but that can be helped if more people jump on and contribute. It looks like there's less censorship issues on the platform than what you might see on things like Facebook and Instagram. So that could be a really good thing for many musicians and artists, but there probably needs to be a few better features. Things like having proper artists or business accounts for bands, it looks like currently they have to sign up as an individual. I've set up a page, so feel free to go and say hi and have a bit of a snoop. I think it's one to keep an eye on anyway and see where it goes. Steel Panther have appeared on America's Got Talent and we've got some good memes coming in, mostly using an image of an older couple in the crowd that just sat with their hands over their ears the entire time, um, as well as some with Sofia Vergara cheering very enthusiastically. 
They played Eyes of the Panther, which is one of very few TV-appropriate songs that I can think of, and it seems they've gotten through to the next round, so it will be very interesting to see what their next song choices are. When first watching the preview of the clip, I said to my partner that I would bet Sophia already knew who they were, because her hubby Joe is involved with all sorts of musicians, and sure enough, it turns out that Still Panther played his last birthday party. Keanu Reeves' band Dogstar got together for their first gig in over 20 years, and with everything feeling really good, they've announced they're going to be recording a new album. Videos are floating around of them playing, um, and Keanu on bass just seems really stoked to be playing again. Ghost released their covers EP in May, which included an awesome cover of We Don't Need Another Hero, just days before the death of Tina Turner. Coinciding with the release was the launch of an online puzzle game, Escape the Ministry. I'd almost forgotten about this, so I haven't played it yet, but I will be taking a look soon. By the teasers that were shared, it looks like it's a simple escape room style puzzle game. I'm interested to see what we get from it and you know where it'll go from there though. While we're talking video games, with the release of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, the death metal band Severance set up and played outside a GameStop in Texas, entertaining the people who were lining up and waiting for the midnight release. Some awesome videos have been shared showing a bunch of little kids moshing and starting up a circle pit. Even if you weren't into heavy metal, that would have to have been so much fun. We'll be back after this one. That was Aussie's Deprivation from Canberra with their song Burn. These guys have won this year's Varken Aussie and New Zealand medal battle, meaning they can now join the medal battle at Varken Open Air in 2023 and represent us. They did win a little bit of prize money, but a GoFundMe has been opened up by the basement in Canberra to help raise funds for their trip and make sure they can get across to Germany. It sucks they have to do this, but everything is so goddamn expensive right now and traveling is mental. If you'd like to contribute, I've thrown the link in the Sin and Steel link tree, as well as shared this up on Facebook and Instagram. One of Germany's Eurovision acts this year was industrial goth glam metal act, Lord of the Lost. We have seen heavy metal in Eurovision before. We had Lordy being the first heavy metal band to win the contest back in 2006. And so now it's becoming more commonplace for there to be at least some metal acts that are joining the contest each year. Lord of the Lost hit the stage with their song Blood and Glitter. They came out in their glam goth makeup and outfits looking fabulous. And they had a really decent stage set up to draw you in and show off the musicians. Something was a little off, the vocals sounded a little washed out and weren't as clear as they are in the recordings or some of the other live performances I've seen. I think they also lost a bit of the electronic and keyboard sounds. I'll be honest, I don't particularly love them anyway, I, I only know some of their stuff. But I do think they sounded decent enough and I think they put on a good show. For me, they do also win points though because these guys have previously attempted to send a custom butt plug to the Pope. Apparently they did get tracking confirmation that the package was received at the Vatican. Where it went from there, we can only speculate. Graham Norton, on the other hand, did not enjoy their performance at all. He said that he hoped they wouldn't win because he didn't want to have to hear them ever again. And he got his wish, um, for Eurovision at least. Lord of the Lost came dead last, with only 18 points, which means they helped Germany maintain their losing streak. This hasn't put a damper on the band's plans though. They're still touring, they've got Varken later this year, and their songs are getting some really heavy playtime and absolutely growing. 
It probably doesn't hurt though that even though Graham didn't like them, Steve Harris has been singing their praises for years and has had them open for some Iron Maiden shows in Europe. Let's take a look at their performance track, Blood and Glitter. So this past month for me, um, I went and saw the all-female Iron Maiden tribute band, the Iron Maidens, over at Max Watts in Melbourne. Not surprising when they are very much recognised as the best Iron Maiden tribute band, but they had all the details down, opening the show with Doctor Doctor Please, um, all the outfit changes around their songs, there was lots of flag waving, power stances, you name it. Sooty the Bear made an appearance on the drum kit, and I'm pretty sure the drummer was playing barefoot too. Musically, they were fantastic, and Bruce Chickenson has got some lungs. As much as I know the Iron Maidens are absolutely successful in their own right, I mean, they've been going for around 20 years, and I'm sure they're incredibly busy with touring. But I was really hoping that maybe Kirsten would maybe, just maybe, have another musical project, because I would love to see what else she could do with that voice. Unfortunately, she does not, but fortunately, you can always hear her belting out our Iron Maiden favourites. I also went out to Frankston to see Aussie punk band Private Function, who with songs like Albury Wodonga, Passion Pop, No Hat No Play, and Grabbing My Butt, are an absolute hoot, especially for anyone who loves to embrace their inner bogan with ridiculous Australian cultural references. As part of their latest album release, they had a limited edition run of piss-filled vinyl. These took a bit of engineering by Salty Dog Records, but they've figured out how to make them. So piss-filled records is something that exists now, I guess. This seems incredibly fitting for an Australian punk band. This gig was right after the King's coronation, so they decided to do one of their own, having everybody in the room kneeling down while they crowned their guitarist Lauren as Queen of Frankston. After kneeling for so long, my knees were very achy and I'm pretty sure I'm part of a cult now. <laughs> Linking back to Pride Month, Private Function's bass player Millie is actually a trans woman. I went and saw them with some of my family, including an uncle who, at least once upon a time, I believe would have been very much uncomfortable with that and potentially not wanted anything to do with the band. Thing is, he'd been to see them with my brother so many times before she came out and started any transition, so he already knew he liked them. I remember asking my brother about this, and essentially he said that my uncle's response was along the lines of, oh well, I guess I like a band with a trans person in it now. He's continued to go and see them and have a great time every time. In his old age, with kids, and maybe seeing someone going through those changes, it seems he's much more open now than he may have once been, and maybe more so than some of the other people in his friends group. These things can seem small in the grand scheme of things when we just want people to be tolerant and supportive of others, but everyone has their own experiences and journeys to go on, and as we talked about earlier, there have been a lot of changes that they've needed to adapt to, which are all still really recent. So seeing people that I care about grow in these sorts of ways and overcoming some of those old mindsets it makes me really proud and it gives me a lot of hope that others can do that too. Moving on to new releases, for your industrial goth metal fix, Death Stars have released the new album, Everything Destroys You. Cradle of Filth have released a live album, Trouble in Their Double Lives, which features recordings of She Is Fire and Demon Prince Regent, as well as tracks from a range of performances spanning 2014 to 2019. Cradle of Filth's album artwork has always been a bit of a mixed bag, there are some that are a little lackluster or have some pretty dodgy Photoshop jobs, but 
there's some awesome artwork in amongst it, like the Baphomet and babes that are on the front of Hammer of the Witches, which was done by the Latvian artist Arthur Berzinch. Unfortunately, their latest album cover is AI generated. From what I can see, a man called Chris Perna is credited for the work. What's more disappointing is that upon investigation, I found out that this is a man who's worked 22 years with Epic Games, including on the artwork for Gears of War um, and Fortnite. He does some amazing painting, 3D rendering and sculpture work, but he's turned to AI and damn, this guy has to be in with Midjourney or endorsed because the way he's trying to sell these things in his posts, it's full on. He went on in one of his Instagram posts, absolutely singing its praises. What irked me the most though, was him claiming it to be just a great tool for forming ideas and concepts, something to start with, which okay, but that's bullshit because they're being used as a final product. And we can see that here with this piece. If you can't tell, AI art is something that I'm not really on board for with the reasons being plentiful. I won't go on or we could be here all day exploring what it means to create art and creating all sorts of debates. But bands, please, I'd rather we get covers like the ones that I see shared in the crap 80s metal art Facebook page than ones with AI imagery. That is a cool page, by the way. Go check it out. Enforcer have released the album Nostalgia, which invokes exactly that, a nostalgic feeling of 80s traditional metal. Continuing with 80s influences, Chrome Skull has released the single Love is Fools and Roadwolf has released the album Midnight Lightning, which features some very strong Guns N' Roses, Poison and lots of Wasp influences. Let's listen to a song off this one, On the Run. Aussie's Astro Death have released the album Volume 2 with tracks like Permafrost, which is wonderfully dark but with some really cool groove aspects. Self-titled album, Kalma, K-A-L-M-A-H, is definitely one to go and check out. It has a really wicked balance of power metal and death metal. For some straight-up death metal, Vomitory's All Heads Are Gonna Roll is pretty damn good, as is Frozen Souls' Glacial Domination. For some black metal, we have the full release of Immortals' War Against All and Savikas with Woven Dark Paths. Other releases include singles from Winterstorm, Evile, Corey Taylor, Cynic, Far Beyond Empire, Fifth Angel, Scar Symmetry, and Fireborn. And we got albums from Mystic Prophecy, Within Temptation, Metal Church, and Falcandra, along with many, many more, which you can go and listen to on the Sin and Steel new releases playlists, which you'll find in the Sin and Steel link tree. YouTuber Bradley Hall challenged himself this month to make a Megadeth album in a day, and it is both fantastic and hilarious. So for a fun fake Megadeth album, you can see the making of this on YouTube or listen to the full-length album here on Spotify under the title Mega Beans. Tracks include gems like Master of Muppets and Hangry Again. For a way of using AI that I can get on board for, he used ChatGPT to generate the lyrics, but then he did all the musical work behind it. It's really cool. Mikey Horton, frontman of indie rock band Fairmount, does these cover videos with a bunch of other musicians and his mates, and one that he shared recently was a cover of Nine Inch Nails' Wish. Tony Hawk was on vocals for this one, 
look, it's pretty fun, but don't expect too much from the vocals. He's singing along while he's skating down the street. Um, at one point, Trent Reznor steps out and he almost knocks him over. Meanwhile, the video kind of flashes back and forth to the other musicians, which include Ben Weenman of Dillinger Escape Plan and Suicidal Tendencies, Brad Majors of The Bronx, and Kat Lucas of Stormy Love Child. Now, I saved this one for last in the new releases because this is incredible and definitely my top pick. Sacred Outcry, an absolutely epic power metal band from Greece, released their new album, Towers of Gold. I've been listening to this one on repeat, and I can imagine that this is likely to be appearing in my top listens come the Spotify end of year wrap up. I've been waking up with their music in my head since its release. This is an album to listen to in full, from start to finish, and I mean really listen to it. This deserves dedicated time, not just an, I'll put this on in the background. Despite that, I am going to still give you one to listen to now, The Voyage. This one was released as a single in the lead up to the album launch, so sit back and enjoy, and then make sure you add this to your listening list for after this episode. So fucking good, right? Thank you for joining me on today's Sin and Steel episode. I've done my absolute best to put all today's information together in a way that I hope has been interesting for everyone and represents the queer community well. I do want to be clear that I'm in no way an authority on the topics that we've discussed today and I can't speak on behalf of the queer community or every queer person because we're all different. But I do hope that you enjoyed what you heard today. Please make sure you follow the podcast so you can be alerted when new episodes are uploaded and visit me on Facebook or Instagram where I share all sorts of heavy metal nonsense. If you'd like to reach out to me outside of social media, you can email me at sinandsteel@outlook.com. That's sin and steel with A-N-D, not an ampersand, at outlook.com. I'm your host, Sarah Tonin, and until next time, stay metal. <laughs>